You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome to the Millionaire's Unveiled Podcast. This is episode 59. On last week's episode, we had Amber, who's an HR professional, had a $400,000 paid-for house, adopted a couple kids, and uh, had some really good investment advice and and advice for for people who are just starting out. So if you're interested, go listen to that episode with Amber. I'd also like to thank all of our subscribers and all those who've left a review on iTunes. Really appreciate it. It really helps us grow the show. We really love your feedback. If you have any ideas for us or things you'd like to see on the show, reach out to us. Send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Just wanted to read a review uh, recently that we got. It said, I've been listening to the podcast for a couple of days now, and I am hooked. This is my new favorite podcast. I really enjoy listening to how these millionaires came to be. I hope to be a millionaire someday and maybe be on the show. And that review came from A. Douglas H. Also, if you'd like to be on the show... Send us an email at millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. You know, today we've interviewed lawyers and doctors and an HR professional and a custodian. You know, we're trying to get millionaires from all walks of life. There's always a great story behind every millionaire and everybody pursuing a millionaire status. So if you'd like to be on the show, just send us an email and, and we'll get a time scheduled. Also, we've got several opportunities in the multifamily investment space. If you're interested for accredited investors, send us an email as well, and uh, we'll get on a phone call with you and, and, and go from there. We also have several upcoming guests that we'd like to to tell you about. Obviously, one's going to be Robert Kiyosaki. Also, Chris Hogan, who's got a new book coming out at the beginning of, of uh, January called Everyday Millionaires, and Sarah Falaw the daughter of Thomas Stanley, who also had a book come out a couple months ago called The Next Millionaire Next Door. We also have several millionaire interviews coming up in the pipeline. We have one, the homeless guy, used to be homeless, no longer homeless. Uh, we've got also a couple of people who are in the internet marketing space or, or develop websites. We've also got an IT professional coming up. So look forward to several of those episodes in the near future. And next week's episode is actually going to be with a special guest. That's Michael Blank. Michael Blank is a multifamily investment syndicator. And so we'll have a, a discussion with him about, you know, why to invest in real estate and why multifamily versus single family. It's going to be a really great episode. So on today's episode, we have Jamie Masters, and she's the host of, of the podcast Eventual Millionaire. And that show interviews those who have reached a net worth of a million dollars or more from their business. We talked to her about all the business owners that she's interviewed and about their goal setting, their early mornings, their visualizations. You know, what are these people doing? Why have they been able to grow their small businesses? Why have they been able to reach success? She talked about journey being the fun part and how we need to enjoy the small wins and the small successes along the way and and take the time to, to celebrate those things. She talks about how to generate different business ideas. She talks about how millionaires have help. They have mentors, coaches, mastermind groups. They're always trying to learn. They're always trying to branch out and meet somebody new, meet connections. She talked about millionaires and their no fear approach and no excuses and kind of how that change in attitude and that mindset helps them to be successful. So without further ado, let's get into today's interview with Jamie Masters. Jamie, do you want to just give us a little bit about your backstory and what you're doing now? 
This is a long thing. Okay, so I started off because the whole millionaire thing was sort of um, a big deal to me when I was little. When I was eight, I wanted to be a millionaire. Funny enough, right? Every little girl at eight wants to be a millionaire. Uh, so I went into tech thinking that that was the way to do it. I made six figures at 22, which sounds awesome, except when you hate your life, it's not exactly worth it, right? <laughs> and so making six figures with an ex- expense account, but being unhappy, I let go of the money. I was like, you know what? Not worth it. I would much rather do something that I really, really enjoy. And so, but what the heck is that? Um, and it was, it's always funny in these interviews because it, the pain of years is, is sort of pulled into a very short little neat story uh, for everybody, but lots of pain, lots of fun. And I ended up finding a mentor in business. He took me under his wing for probably two or three years and really showed me sort of the ways of the world about cold calling and all sorts of craziness in business. And then I went out on my own, started a site called Eventual Millionaire in 2011, started a podcast cast after that interviewing lots and lots of millionaires uh, by knowing none at the very, very beginning, by the way, a small town girl from Maine of 2000 people. That was always fun. And then we were sort of here, right? <laughs> Which has a, has a shortened version of where things are now. So I've had my business for a ridiculous long time. We started a new brand called OwnerBox and that's been doing really, really well. And I'm just so thankful that I made it not about the money so I could actually enjoy the life. And then of course you add the money back in and you get to have the best both worlds instead of having what some people call the millionaire myth. You make your money and then you're like, oh, but I'm still not happy. Awesome. And then you have to figure out how to be happy from there. So that's all of it in a nutshell. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to go back. So how did you find that first mentor and kind of what did he provide in terms of, of helping you get kind of going and on your way? Great question. So I moved to Maine. I'm from Maine, but I moved back to Maine from getting a degree in computers and working in tech. So I was an engineer and a project manager for a video on demand company. I had no business experience whatsoever, by the way. I I thought I might like coaching, but I thought coaching was really cheesy, especially like nine, 10 years ago. Uh, it was all life coaches. And I was like, I am an engineer. I am not a life coach kind of lady. But what ended up happening is when I moved to this uh, small town in Maine, he was like the guy. So I emailed him out of the blue. His name's Kirk Lalamond. <laughs> I was like, so I want to get to know more people around the area. In the back of my head, I'm going, I want to be your competition and beat you. No. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> we ended up having a chat. He's like, I'd love to take you to lunch so we could get to know each other a little bit better. Turns out he was extremely awesome. He was going, who the heck is this chick? Come? He didn't call me a chick, of course. <laughs> who is this chick coming to me and going, she, she's going to be my competition. But he was very, very sweet about it all. Told me about sort of the associations that cater to younger people. I was 24, 25. I looked like I was 12. I used to get carded for movies at that time too. And so what's interesting is I left going, wow, he was really fantastic, but I didn't think that anything would come of it. I sent him a thank a handwritten thank you card just to thank him for the two plus hours that he spent giving me advice. It was really cool. And he emailed me later and was like, handwritten thank you cards are <laughs> a way of the past, right? I'm really impressed. Thank you so much for sending that to me. I've been looking for an apprentice, somebody who was I thought was going to be 45, not, you know, 25, but would you be interested in chatting about it? And of course I'm like, Heck yes, right? And I was willing to do whatever it took. So that's the funny thing. It's like, it's not like, woohoo, it was all sunshine and roses from there. I worked for six months for free for him, 20 hours a week, doing all his tech stuff, doing the random little things that nobody really wanted to do, right? And I made six figures. So it's not like I didn't know my worth, but I was willing to do whatever it took to get the skills and experience. So he helped me with marketing and sales, getting my own clients underneath him. And he took a cut 
And then he taught me how to coach them over three years. So being able to really be underneath uh, somebody that knows what they're doing to especially to push you, because when you're an entrepreneur by yourself, you're like, I'm going to update my plugins today. Woohoo! And you think that that's like doing work. And it's not. <laughs> it's <laughs> definitely not growing your business at all. And so having that mentor to really like kick you <laughs> to when you're feeling that push of the comfort zone and make you do it anyway was huge, huge for me. That's awesome. So, so to date now, you've, you've interviewed, you've coached over 500 plus millionaires. What are two to three key takeaways that you've learned from, from interviewing them and coaching them? For one, they make lots of spelling mistakes. No. <laughs> so actually, this is kind of true. <laughs> I, I had put them on a pedestal so, so much. Back in the day, I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what do they have that I don't? That's kind of what I wanted to do at the very beginning. Like they must know something that I don't which is one of the reasons why I started all this. I really, I love data. So I wanted to correlate the data of what they knew and what they were doing. And it was kind of eye-opening that it wasn't any secret sauce kind of stuff. Though it was hilarious that they had lots of spelling mistakes. I thought that was great. <laughs> I love that they're infallible. They're humans that make mistakes too. So some of the, the key takeaways that I got was one, they have a no matter what attitude, right? So the commitment to the end goal whether it be an amount of money or an amount of people on your email list or whatever the the impact is that they really wanted, the commitment to the end goal, no matter what way they got there, was huge. So it was less about, oh, I, I'm going to start podcasting, but that didn't get traction. I'm going to go try this. I'm going to go try that. I'm going to go try. It was waiting for something to hit. It was like, I'm going to figure this out no matter what. Even if it's painful and I have to jump over the hurdles, I'm going to figure it out because that commitment is what allows them to get past the comfort zone issues, past the pieces that if they felt like they ran into a wall, they grew as a human into whatever that person is in order to achieve those goals. So to me, that was really eye-opening because we're all told setting goals is good, right? But setting goals and really going all in on a no matter what, especially on a bigger vision, like three to five year goal was huge. So that was number one. Number two, the speed of implementation matters a lot too. Some of the most eye-opening things was one of the guys, his name was Bobby Casey. He started a, a business making bicycles, like building the bicycle part at Walmart. So you know how they'll do the installation and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. He went to 59 Walmarts to ask them <laughs> if they would, uh, if they would like have his business as a service before one of them said yes. It only took him like three months. He was literally like driving around all the time. I'm like, 59, I would have stopped after 10, right? Like, oh my gosh, that's commitment, like crazy. He goes, I would have gone to 300. I'm like, okay, that's wow. number one. That's the commitment side, which is huge, right? But the the speed that he was able to do it was also really impressive. So he was driving around like a crazy person. So when you say like, oh, speed of implementation, we're trying to 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 make the gap between you taking an action and getting feedback on whether or not it works. You're trying to make that smaller, right? Because the smaller that is, the, the squished out way you do it, um, you'll find out what actually works better and you can level that up way faster. Instead of if something takes you three months before you get any feedback, you're like waiting, right? Whereas if you take and you just go all in on that one piece and it takes you three days before you start getting feedback for it, you can know if it's a yay, you go do it more. And if it sucks, then you can be like, okay, 
try a different tactic, right? So that leverage of time um, creates it way easier to create momentum instead of just going, oh, it takes forever. And a lot of new entrepreneurs don't know this. And I didn't know this either. I was like, okay, I'm updating my plugins. So I call them the difference between active actions and passive actions, right? So the ones that will actually get you a result, like doing sales calls, hmm, I will actually make a sale if I'm doing a sales call versus updating a plugin. What are those active things that are going to align with the actual goal? And how can I make that feedback loop of whether it's working or not better or faster so I can implement and make it convert better or whatever that goal is? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's great advice. So I just want to back up here for our listeners. Again, Jamie's podcast is called The Eventual Millionaire. And and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you interview those who have reached a net worth of a million or more from their business. Exactly. Correct. So ours is similar, but we interview millionaires from all walks of life. So some have started a business, some haven't. It it all depends here. But there's got to be people listening that say, hey, I've never started a business. I don't know what I'm doing. You know, maybe I'm young with a couple kids. I can't stomach the risk. How did these millionaires that you've interviewed get started? Of course, all differently. But maybe what's your advice to those who say, hey, I don't know where to start or I've never had a business? (laughs) That's almost everybody, right? You don't come out of the womb starting a business, right? I'm trying to, my kids are going to an entrepreneur kids school. I'm hoping to teach them young because what I found actually is the, the, I was surprised at how many young millionaires that I had, had interviewed and their parents were typically entrepreneurs. So if you could teach them, you can teach your kids young. That's great. But if, if you didn't get that, you know, too late now, (laughs) that, that is what it is. Everybody is going through that exact same piece. It's not like you get an MBA and you know how to do business. Most times I've gotten people emailing me going, your show has been way more worth my hundred thousand dollar MBA that I have. Right. So to me, it's really get out, getting out there and, and doing it. If you don't have real experience and you're just reading books, that don't count, right? The pain of entrepreneurship is what will make you grow. So the starting piece really sell something. So if you're brand new, I think one of the key things that you need to learn is sales, right? There's no business until somebody sells something. So if you're online and you're just trying to dabble and you're like, I'm going to create an ebook or whatever the thing is that you want to do, talk to the people on the phone, try and sell something to someone that makes you a business, right? To me, if you level up that skill set, you're golden in being able to pay your mortgage with money instead of podcast listens or, or views on your Instagram account. I really think that having a business model that, that you can sort of go all in and make it a lot less risky. I'm not about go create a huge audience and then finally figure out something to sell them. I'm like, you can meet one person and sell them something. It's not the end of the world. There's a a great book called 48 Days to the Work You Love by Dan Miller. And I read that book back in the day, by the way, when I didn't know what the heck I want to do in life. Dan is now a wonderful friend and he wrote the foreword of my book. So I remember being like, I remember reading this book going, what the heck do I do with my life? Right. So it's just, it's just that commitment. Like I was saying, so just keep taking those active actions, ideally in the sales department, (laughs) whatever that means to you, even if it's sales copy on online, but making those offers, that's, what's going to start building your chops, I guess, is trying to get that you're going to learn way faster from doing something like that in business. And that's something that no offense, People getting MBAs don't even teach that stuff. They're like, oh, let's talk about the theory of all this. You don't have a business for a bunch of theory. No offense. I'm all about like, go out, try and sell something, do something ridiculously uncomfortable, even if you look like a fool. Thank goodness I had a mentor that made me do cold calling because I never would have done that on my own because it sucks, (laughs) especially when you don't know what you're doing. And especially because I want everyone to like me. So people would hang up the phone and I'd like get really sad, right? So it's an evolutionary process as a human. You're just going to keep moving forward. You're going to get better in business, but it's all about having that business model and selling something. 
So I want to go back to what you said, branching out and how does somebody know when they've started a business, when they should outsource something or what exactly they should focus on? Kind of some of those active pieces you were saying. It's obviously different when they're small and they're making 10,000 compared to make when they're making 100 and 500 and a million. So how do you know where to focus on and, and what not to spend too much time on? Definitely. And we can link some resources to this because we have in the speed of implementation sort of subset. I have all my clients, no matter how much they're making, do a time audit. And they hate me at first. Don't get me wrong. Like they're like, this sucks. And I've had coaches that make me do it too. And I hate them. Right. So I'm not saying it's going to be fun, but it's literally, you can use toggle, T-O-G-G-L.com. And this is helpful for anybody, even not in business, right? To go through and go, what am I actually doing? How long am I scrolling through Facebook? How, How long am I doing stuff that is not of quote unquote value to my business or my work or whatever it is that you're doing? You start Again, I'm a data person, right? So you start creating a spreadsheet of exactly what you're doing and for how long you're doing it. Then you can actually put in how much it would cost to have somebody else do it. So for example, social media stuff, I could do it. I don't want to do it. I can pay someone 15, 20 bucks an hour in order to do that, right? So you start writing down how much of a task it would cost to have somebody else do it. My coaching, I mean, I'm not going to pay anyone else to do that, but I do that all throughout the list. Like, what are those levels? I know when I first got my first VA, I had no idea what to give them. I was like, I don't know. And I also, entrepreneurs are really horrible at letting go of things anyway, because they want it done their way. And they don't know how to train very well, typically. But the goal is to get that muscle. That's a muscle that gets built too, on knowing how to actually give a task to someone and verify that they did it correctly and then give them feedback on doing it again. So when you have that list, you can start going, oh, you know what? I have enough $10 an hour, $15 an hour tasks to hire somebody that's a VA potentially. And I heard in the Philippines at first, I even had a VA that hired a VA to do my tasks, which was very interesting. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) And I didn't even know either. I was like, I don't know if I'm really proud of you or if I'm like (laughs) really mad. (laughs) Right. So, I mean, it's the the barrier of language and stuff made. And and because I didn't know how to work with employees all that well back then, it made it very difficult. And I was like, I'm just wasting more time. Right. But that skill set is huge to actually know. So don't think of it as a waste of time. That being said, as much as you can pay somebody who's really, really good, I highly recommend it because it will make it 10 times easier for you to find somebody that is really, really good that you know has a task and they don't have to be micromanaged. Like an A player would be really, really great. But the goal is to really go, okay, even if it's two hours a week or five hours a week, that saves you a ridiculous amount of time, right? I don't, I have the cleaning lady coming tomorrow, so I don't have to clean. I hate that. I have my laundry taken out now because I also hate laundry. So it's literally going through that list, both personal and professional in order to know what those key tasks are. And just at the beginning, just make it task level. It's not like we have to do crazy job descriptions or anything like that, but that's the initial step that I highly recommend. Awesome. You know, one thing that from from our research and from other people, you know, Dr. Thomas Stanley is one of the, mo- the most famous uh, authors of, of The Millionaire Next Door. Business owners and entrepreneurs are typically notoriously bad at taking chips off the table or taking some of their profits and investing it elsewhere. Of all the people that you've interviewed, who has done that pretty well and, and what kind of vehicles have they invested in and maybe kind of what's the, the ratio that they've used to, to invest in their business and grow it versus maybe invest in s- some other vehicle? 
Okay. I asked that question too, because I am always ridiculously curious because the business guys seem to invest more in the business side of things typically because it's known to them. But this is what, this is what I found. If you've made your money like in investing, typically you're not going to go, Oh, let's go start a business randomly, right? You're going to invest in real estate or something that's a little closer. Business owning is sort of the same thing. A lot of the business owners will invest in real estate as like, I make all my money in business and then I go invest in real estate. And a lot of them will, will do investing or something like that too. But they usually pick one modality at first, right? Until they get really good at it. But nine times out of 10, they, because their, their core skill set in business is better, right? They know when I put this much money in, I can get this much money out. They are better at investing in their business instead of going, I don't actually know real estate. I'm going to go throw a bunch of money at that, right? And potentially lose it. And so it, I thought, I thought they would diversify a little bit more, but it's usually um, the one or two modalities and within that. And real estate's usually the one that both the people that I've found that do business or investing sort of hook onto. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And and how much do they end up if they do do some sort of real estate? I mean, are they taking 20% of their profits, 40% of their profits? What's kind of the, the metric that, that you've seen? It's all over the map. Like, I mean, when I chat with, when I chat with people on that type of level, especially with clients, it depends on the, the type of entrepreneur, right? So some of them are completely risk averse, right? Where they're like, I don't know anything about it. We're going to put in five. We're going to just sort of dabble. We're going to put a little bit here and a little bit there, or they'll diversify to all over the place. But it, but the more riskier ones will totally do a lot more. I, <laughs> I've heard stories where people are like, oh, I just put it all in this. I'm like, you guys got balls. I don't know what to tell you. I, I would not do it that way. <laughs> But if you have data, so especially on the business side, like if they have data that goes, when I put this much money in, we typically get this much net profit and they know that that's continuing. I think they're a little bit more risky with what they do because they know they have a solid asset in their business and can take some of that stuff out. But Profit First is a really good book. So if if you haven't read that yet, the guy Mike Michalowicz, he just came out with a new book, but highly recommend it. It really goes through all the bank accounts and exactly what you should be putting in in what and taking out your profits away from your business accounts because when you have it so mingled, not a good idea. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everybody's learning, but pull them out. So that way you actually do pay yourself <laughs> because most of the time it'll just keep rolling in and you won't even realize it. Yeah, totally. And I'm curious of, of maybe some of the ones you've interviewed that have either sold a business and then started another one. I'm, I'm assuming, you know, we know in America that for the most part, most businesses have started with, with five or $10,000 or less. So they really aren't taking a bunch of these profits or, you know, a liquidity event and putting all this money back into another business. Is that kind of standard from what you've seen or are they actually going and maybe, hey, I'm going to go purchase a, a competitor now or another business, you know, and I'm going to unload this whole liquidity and buy systems and processes and employees and everything else? Most of the people that I interview are bootstrappers. Typically, they're not like funded. Uh, so they don't like to spend a lot of money. So the, so what's really interesting on the serial entrepreneur side, which I think is awesome, is that once they sort of go all in and find something that's successful in business, they get really excited about going back to the drawing board. It sucks too, don't get me wrong, but um, to get to figure out the lower level problems again instead of the huge ones, knowing that they have that nest egg. I don't know specific examples of how much they actually pull over, but typically, Typically, if they're in a business that they already know they're making 
great money in, that's when the the purchase event will happen, right? That's when I'll buy another competitor and make uh, make my footprint bigger instead of just randomly at the end doing it. A lot of the people that I've interviewed, especially the bootstrappers, won't even buy franchises. They might franchise themselves, right? But they're like, why would I pay someone else for their marketing? Because I could do it just as well, right? So it really depends on who they are. But that's where they'll a lot of the ones that, that, that I know personally that are friends will go into real estate or they'll go learn something new because they can learn something new and not dabble, but just go in with some of it and then get that. A lot of the millionaires that I interview have that need for knowledge, right? They love solving problems. They love learning. And so whatever that new venture is, is a real um, way to fulfill that need in them. Does that make sense too? Yep. Yep. Totally makes sense. I think it goes back to is, is what's their time worth too, right? What's the actionable steps they can take to keep growing their business? So the stat is one out of five or one out of 10 businesses fail within the first year, right? Who knows Mm -hmm. what it's at? Who knows Mm -hmm. if it's an accurate stat, whatever. So how many of these people have started businesses that have failed before they've, you know, come to the one that you're interviewing about? Or do do many of them have multiple businesses or or maybe what's your take on that stat? Yes. Okay. So this was really eye-opening for me because at the beginning, I thought serial entrepreneurs like had a lot of hands in a lot of pots. Right. And then when I started, I had an iPhone app and a provisional patent and a whole bunch of things, which was now I know kind of dumb, spreading myself really thin. So what I found is that even the people that are serial entrepreneurs, they still have that commitment to the one goal. It's not like they put their hands in a whole bunch of pots because when you look at how much energy that takes, if you have two businesses, you get 50% of your time on each. Right. Even if you're working 80 hours a week, that's only 40 that you can put into your business. Right. And so most of them don't do that. Most of them will go all in on a business until they can sort of step out of the business more and then they'll start another one. That being said, a lot of them have a ton of failures, both before, especially before um, the business that was successful. The people that had parents that were entrepreneurs typically do a little bit better like they did. I think they're failing while they still lived at home, right? But typically they can do it a little bit better, a little bit younger. A lot of people otherwise learn, right? Learn by failure. And again, it's that risk thing, right? Depends on what their risk tolerance is for the business side. Some will go all in and be miserable failures, but it grew fast when it was growing, right? Whereas other ones are a little more slow and steady with less uh, with less risk tolerance. That being said, even the people that made millions in the business that I'm interviewing them for started another one. Like I've had people come on the show uh, later multiple times and they start a new business. And sometimes that business doesn't work. Like I had a guy the other day, I won't name names, but he, I was like, oh wait, he's coming back on the show for a third time, but with a different business. I'm like, wait a minute. He just started one like last year. Oh wait, that did not work very well. Okay, good. Right. So we're not all, we're, we're all human. We all make mistakes. We think um, what we're doing is a good idea and the market will tell you whether or not it is right. If you're doing a good job, but I love it that he just willing to do it again. Right now we're doing this new business and I'll totally come in and promote the heck out of that one too. So there's a lot of failure in it. And I love that the millionaires that I interview, a lot of them are open to talking about it to really open up that conversation that no, it's not like the guys that are millionaires really know everything. And it's just a one hit wonder. And it's one hit after another after another. That's not typically the way it works. Yeah, I think oftentimes we don't focus on failures enough. And, and people listen to these interviews and say, Oh, wow, this person has done it. They've done it right for 15, 20 years or 10 years or however long it's taken. And look at them they you know, they've been able to figure it out. And it just doesn't come that easy for me. But yeah. So that's what I said at the very beginning, right? When when I have to condense a story of struggle and I mean, there was wonderful things in it, too. But when you're condensing a story into five minutes, you're like, oh, it sucked. Now it's better. Ta-da, right. But that's that's not the way life is. Right. Everybody's got problems. Even the guy making I, I have clients that are doing, you know, five million a year and they have problems. Right. Or their net is going tanking. Right. There's 
there's always issues no matter where you are because you're human. And yes, to other people, the, the issues that you're having might be like, well, that's a luxurious type of issue. But like paying payroll, <laughs> a lot of people have to pay payroll. And if they have a couple bad months, that sucks, right? And so, but people in business won't talk about that. And I'm thankfully a business coach of really highly successful people. And I have to go, you know what? Really highly successful people have a lot of failures in small amounts in their life. We are human. That's just what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And for the normal person, I, I, it's hard to, to see the late nights or the early mornings or the problems and they don't, they don't see that journey. So to that end, I want to ask, you have a chapter in your book called your success is a series of small wins. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us that are entrepreneurs or or most of us should do a better job of kind of celebrating those small victories and those small steps to success. So maybe talk about that chapter of your book and, and how, small wins can make a difference when starting a business or just on your own if you're investing your life in general. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I still do to this day, I have a mastermind group. I started the mastermind group when my blog was brand new, 2011. So a long time ago, or 2010, I think it started my blog. And it's amazing. Pat Flynn from Smart Passive Incomes on it too. I don't know if you know Pat or not, but back in the day, we <laughs> I thought small wins were really important even before I wrote about it in my book, right? So for the mastermind that we meet every single week, we do a, a win. We do a small win at the beginning every single week for the last eight-ish years. And at the beginning, sometimes it's literally like, I got 12 people to opt into this new thing that I'm doing, right? Like it does not have to be this humongous, amazing win. Yes, sometimes it's going to be I was on CNN or on Yahoo, but most of the time it's not. And even the huge successful business owners, when they're actually paying attention to the small things, the incremental wins, those add up. But if we discount them and we stop doing whatever that action is, because 12 is nothing, the the guy that posted on Facebook is getting a thousand for what he's doing, right? 12 people, 12 opt-ins are still 12 people. You can sell a lot of stuff to them. So give, give it a break and give it some time and keep moving forward on that. So I highly recommend getting a mastermind group or an accountability buddy where you're actually paying attention to the stuff, even if it's small, because it's the longevity and that commitment, like I said, no matter what, that really makes the difference. And those looking at those small wins will make you feel a little bit better about all the effort that you're putting in because it's never, I mean, I was on Yahoo's homepage six times. Okay. So you'd think like, woohoo, six times. The amount of things that I sold from those, it's not that big of a deal. So while it even felt like a really big win, it wasn't my core audience. They weren't, most of them were not business owners. Right. And so when I was looking at it, it's like, okay, well, that sounds like a huge win, but there's some really smaller things that made a lot more money. So it really just depends on your perspective on it all. Awesome. Awesome. So I want to, I kind of want to go to a different topic here before we close. If someone's starting a business or their business is growing now and, and they're looking to hire somebody, they're looking for a VA, they're looking to outsource something, where do they start? It's obviously a big decision when you're hiring your first person, you know, you've done it all previously. Where do they start and how do they know if their team or the, or the people they've hired are the right fit for their business? <laughs> the million dollar question. Um, because you building up your team is what's going to build up your business, right? But at the beginning when you don't know, it's tough. We actually have a hiring guide. So I, I ended up asking a ton. I think we reached out to like 40 or 50 of the millionaires that I interviewed and asked what their hiring process was because especially the people that were recruiters or had been in the game a really long time because at the very beginning when you don't know, you don't know what to ask on interview questions. So that whole hiring guide, it's it's a beast, but there's a checklist in it too, which really talks about having them do a test beforehand, where to find them, the best sites, that sort of stuff. So it's all in there, but just for a quick nitty gritty. So, so being able to know exactly what you want them to do, I highly 
highly recommend trying to find referrals from people you know first or somebody that's already happy in their job. Because as soon as you start posting on Craigslist or wherever it is that you're looking, those are the people that are looking for a new job, not necessarily the ones that are happy and excited with their job. So what we're looking for is we're looking for A players that are that are really willing to go all in on your mission and your values. And the amount of time that it takes you to find that hire will be worth its weight in gold, no matter how long you think it takes. You're like, oh, I just want to hire someone and get them onboarded because I'm so busy. Please, please do your due diligence and take the time. Go through that whole hiring guide. Uh, of course, let us know if you have any questions on that stuff too, because uh, a mishire costs so much more <laughs> in time and stress levels and you focusing on them instead of focusing on the true goals of your business than anything else. So please pay attention to that. Yeah, Jamie, where can, where can people find those resources or, or get in touch with you? Great question. I sent you, I think, a link that we can post for everyone. I can definitely link that up. We'll put all the resources. We have a millionaire gap quiz. So where you're at in business and what you need to be focusing on. So people that are, are making six figures, we talk about systems, but people that aren't making six figures, we talk about marketing, right? There are different phases of business. So we'll link up the hiring guide right there though, too. Awesome. And and what, what last advice would you give and, and what are you working on, you know, either in your business right now or outside of your business that you're really excited about? <laughs> well, I have a sword wall and I'm no, <laughs> I do have a sword wall. But so uh, <laughs> one, of, one of the last questions I ask uh, millionaires, so out of 500 and something interviews now, I ask what's one action listeners can take this week. And so just as a, a pinpoint, what's really interesting that they say over and over and over again, this is the most popular answer, right? So out of all my data and research, this is the most important piece. It's doing the thing that you know you should be doing <laughs> and you aren't. That thing that you're scared of. And most of the time, whether you're driving right now or working out or whatever, you can take two seconds after this video and go, what is that thing that I know I should be doing? that we've sort of been putting off that eat that frog moment that you know will make the biggest impact in your business. Because the more of those that we can actually do, that's what's going to show you the momentum, which is going to be way more exciting <laughs> than, than doing all those little teeny things that don't actually add up for you. So I want you to take time right now. And if you're driving, of course, don't do this, but write down what that one thing is, and then pick the time. So give yourself 24 hours. I call it comfort zone challenges, uh, where you have to buck up buttercup and just go do the thing that you know you should be doing but aren't. Get a buddy to help you out, something like that, and just do it. Because the overthinking, the, well, what if something's better, um, will get you every single time. And that's the thing that I think is the most important everybody do. Awesome. Terrific advice. So again, for our listeners, that's Jamie Masters. You can find her at eventualmillionaire.com. She also has a podcast blog, lots of terrific resources, and we'll include those in our show notes as well. So Jamie, thanks for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.